a one, a two, a one, two, three, four. And here it. we go. <laughs> nice. Hey, work on, our, work on your timing better. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> we didn't rehearse that. Clearly. <laughs> Hi. Hey, everybody. Hi. I'm a secret person. I'll <laughs> say so this is not an echo. This is a Mariah. <laughs> echo is her dog. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but yes, we have a special guest this week. It is me, if I'm special. <laughs> I mean, you are the first guest speaker that we have, so that's pretty special. Yeah, Yay. special little fam damily episode. Woo. I'm not going to lie. Okay, so the way we have the setup is I'm sitting next to Miles this time. And Miles and I are sharing a microphone, so we're going to do our best to, like, enunciate and speak loud, whatever. But I never see the computer while it's recording, and it's a little distracting. <laughs> so, like, kudos to you to paying it for paying attention to me when I speak and while we're recording. That might be giving me too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, without further ado, hi, how's it going? Good. Let's not all speak well, at once. How are you? Just kidding. That's what I want you to do. I'm good. <laughs> speak at once. <laughs> um, cool. Sorry, go ahead. That, I wasn't going to say anything. Do we have any podcast news? We sure do. We actually have a new state. Any guesses? <laughs> um, one that starts with an O and ends with a hi Actually, no. Whatever. Just kidding. Yeah, you're right. I was we trying got... to think of something quick and witty on the spot, but I couldn't. <laughs> We have, wasn't quick enough. we have the Ohio. The Ohio. Um, but yeah. <laughs> it's what? The spooky state. The spooky state. Oh, is Might it really know. spooky? Everything happens in Ohio. Really? Why don't Give I know some this? Examples. Everything happens in Ohio. We like don't what? know this. I don't. I don't. You should. I don't. Have you should. ever been to Ohio? I haven't. Me either. Maybe on a layover, but that's the airport and airports don't count. Well, welcome, Ohio. And welcome, Mariah. Mariah, how's it going? Good. How are you guys? Why am I answering that? <laughs> if, I don't know. Let's just say that if you're good, I'm good. Sure. <laughs> That's how marriage works. Happy wife, submissive life, as they say. Submissive life? No, happy life is what I said. What? <laughs> <laughs> He's crazy. I was trying to say that my, I submit my life to make you happy. Oh, I okay. Sounds good. I thought that was clear. Well, Miles, um, I have nothing to say. So why don't you take it away and explain what's happening? Well, today we have, uh, as we mentioned, a special guest who is Mariah. Emphasis on the special. Thanks. Just kidding. Uh, yeah, from North Carolina, USA. Yep, they've been suffering with me for the past few days. Yep, and it's been fun. She's been visiting us in town here. For those of you who don't know, Mariah is Miles' little sister. Pretty sure we've mentioned that before, so... But I think. just in case people started this episode, they're not going to know that. Oh, that's true. That's true. But yeah, Mariah's my little sister. The weird and sibling. She is, yep, she is visiting us from out of town, like I mentioned. And Harper has been loving it. We have pea friends. <laughs> oh my gosh yeah we just recently potty trained harper and she's decided that it's really fun to have other people besides mom and dad take her to the potty yep and mariah has now become the victim yep yep it's fine she's cute but yeah mariah before we jump into the story why don't you give us a little uh introduction i mean what is that to introduce i'm your uh, weird youngest sister 
That about sums it up. Yep. <laughs> Bit of a nerd. Likes to do some spooky stuff on the side. Mm-hmm. I think that they mentioned that previously. But that's about it. Yeah, because every time... Well, not every time. Every now and then when Hoppus sees like a, a spooky statue around Halloween time, she goes, look, it's Raya. Which a is kind of funny. A spooky what? Statue. Statue? Yeah. Oh, okay. Or like one of those animatronic things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's I'm... Auntie Raya. <laughs> Which I'm well, happy to be known as. <laughs> you should talk about the your jobs. You have two jobs and they're both really cool. That's pretty unique as well. Yes. So full time, I am a vet assistant. Um, I've been in the vet field for about four and a half years now. And then... You could say you're a, a vet vet. <laughs> a veterinarian veteran. <laughs> That's a real knee slapper. Um, Don't have everybody then... laugh at once. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't. <laughs> okay, now um, that your eyes have stopped rolling into the back of your heads, Mariah, continue. <laughs> um, and then... Part-time, usually during Halloween, I act at a haunted house called Woods of Terror. You should come check us out if you're in the North Carolina area. It's pretty good. Pretty it's spooky. A, yeah, it's a really good haunted house. Yeah, when we move out there, we're planning on going a we, couple of times during the season. Yeah, you Have should. you been to it? Nope. Oh, I've been to it. Oh. Mm-hmm. It's really okay. good. Yeah. It's what? one of the better ones that I've been to, and I've been to a lot of haunted houses. Yeah, you have. This isn't sponsored content, but content by the way but like <laughs> unless it, it you want cool. to just <laughs> mariah posts stuff on facebook of her and like costume and makeup and everything and they look really cool yeah. so it's a fun place to work i'll talk to my boss i'll see if he wants to okay. <laughs> <Sponsor>. <laughs> cool. maybe we'll see <laughs> cool well, anything else you want to share with the little world of fam danley mariah no i think that's it cool. pretty boring apart from that cool so I'm going to keep my mouth shut because I want to have good standing with the in-laws still. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Cool. Well, uh, another special thing about this, since I'm lazy, Mariah's actually going to help me out with this story. You guys get to suffer with my voice for a little bit. Yep. Have fun. I'm just going to sit back and relax and just be an audience member today. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Cool. Well, let's go ahead and get started. All right, Courtney. So what is money called in space? I don't know. What? Starbucks. <laughs> that's that's a clever one. Okay. Why did the cow want to become an astronaut? to go to the moon so she could see the milky way oh dang it i thought mine was a good answer try again i thought about another joke that was supposed to go here but i spaced and <laughs> <forgot> to plan it <laughs> two space jokes i like it <laughs> did you hear about the restaurant on the moon had great food but absolutely no atmosphere <laughs> <laughs> i dig it any others yeah one more what did Neil Armstrong say when no one laughed at his moon jokes? I guess he had to be there. Because <laughs> no one else was... Okay, that's funny. <laughs> okay, I'm done. <laughs> cool. Well, any guesses on what today's about, Courtney? The moon landing. Uh, close. We're talking about... Uh, what's his face, Buzz? No. 
or what's what's his last name? Aldrin. 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 Buzz Aldrin. Or are we talking about um, like Lily Aldrin, but Buzz Aldrin. <laughs> yes. It's like Buzz Lightyear and Lily Aldrin got married, and then Buzz took her last name. What? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we're talking about Neil Armstrong. No. Okay, I, I don't know then. Cool. All right. Are we talking about Sandra Bullock in that one movie? Gravity. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, okay. Then <laughs> I give a, up. These are good guesses, but no. All right. So. A race to space. America lost to Russia, Soviet Union. But a zoom to the moon had yet to crown a victor. And who better to be named Victor than a man named Victor? But they couldn't find one, so they settled for a man named Gus. What? <laughs> Never mind. What? <laughs> who is Gus? <laughs> Not Victor. Okay. So... Project Apollo was created, since America lost, to beat Russia, or the Soviet Union, to the moon before, you know, yeah, this is like a huge competitive thing. It, yeah, I'm gathering. So, three people I'm going to talk about here today, um, who were part of the initial Apollo mission. Ooh, okay. Are you ready? I am ready. Let's hear so this. So, first guy, his name was not Victor, his name was Gus. Oh, that, so that wasn't just a joke. <laughs> no, it wasn't just a joke. That was relevant to the story. His, catching on. Yeah. His legal name was Virgil Ivan Grissom, a.k.a. Gus. There's... Okay, never mind. Go ahead. He was... <laughs> yeah, you, you'll catch on in a second. <laughs> he was born in Mitchell, Indiana. Uh, I didn't write down the date, but it was sometime in... I think it was 1926. Um, he was the second child in the family and had three younger siblings. His okay. older sister sadly died in infancy before he was born, so he never actually got to meet her. Mm. Gus dis- discovered his fascination for flying when he attended Riley Grade School as he built model airplanes. This is Indiana? Indiana. The nickname Gus came from his classmate, sorry. <laughs> yeah, his classmate, he read the name of Gus's, the, the name on Gus's scorecard incorrectly, like Gus's last name, Grissom. It was just like Gris, kind of like oh. cut off a little bit, and he read it upside down. He said Gus, mm. and that just stuck with him throughout life. Gus attended local church, the Church of Christ, which he remained a lifelong member. Oh, I did write down the, the date of his birth, just in the wrong place. It was April 3rd, 1926. April, baby. April, baby. Uh, he Does that was... mean he's an Aries? Yes. Yeah. Aries, baby. <laughs> Because that matters. Astrology is a thing. It, it does matter. <laughs> so Gus was also a busy kid being a Boy Scout, having his own paper route, working in the orchards and at various stores and service stations. In high school, he wanted to play varsity basketball, but the high school had a height prejudice. It's too <laughs> short. Womp womp. So he went with swimming. Hey! That's like me, except for mine wasn't a height prejudice. I just really sucked at any sport that involved balls. <laughs> <laughs> okay i hear how that sounded <laughs> wait i was not gonna say it this is a family-friendly podcast <laughs> okay but truly i was the most uncoordinated kid that i knew but and now she's the most uncoordinated adult that she knows <laughs> this is also true <laughs> no but something about swimming just the coordination doesn't matter so i get it gus we're buddies yep you and gus bffs 
So Gus was an average student, except he excelled in mathematics. While a senior in high school, World War II was going on and he registered as an aviation cadet for the US Army Air Forces. He was inducted on August 8th, 1944 and was sent to five week basic flight training. During World War II, he spent most of the time as a clerk but never lost his love for flying. After the war, he took some menial jobs to make ends meet. In 1945, he married fellow high schooler Bette Lavon Moore on July 6th. Hey, what a weird day to get married. Yeah, who picks that day? Weirdos. Two days after Independence Day. <laughs> Let's make it about America. I have so much in common with this person. <laughs> yeah, right. Are you him? In another life? <clears throat> In Maybe. this same life, I just, never mind, I'm going to stop that thought before it gets too weird. <laughs> okay. He attended Purdue University for a Bachelor in, of Science degree in Mechanical Engineering. After graduating, he enlisted in the U.S. Air Force and was accepted into the Air Cadet Basic Training Program. Wait, I thought you said he already enlisted in the Air Force. No, because the Air Force wasn't really created until after World War II. It was like the oh. the um, the U.S. Army Air Forces. Oh, this oh, is the oh. U.S. Air Force. I see, I see. Learn your history. I'm just kidding. Gus realized his dream of flying when he received his pilot wings in March 1951 and was commissioned as second lieutenant. Ew. He was assigned to the Presque Isle Air Force Base and became a member of the 75th Fighter Interceptor Squadron. Um, and then the next war going on was the Korean War. Um, and so during this time, this, um, this squadron, the 75th Fighter Interceptor Squadron, was dispatched to the war zone in February 1952. He flew over 100 combat, mas- combat missions during his six months of service. He was promoted to first lieutenant and was awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross, as well as the Air Medal with an Oak Leaf Cluster. Oh my gosh, same. You have so much in common with him. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's much cooler than me for anybody <laughs> that's keeping tabs. You're about the same height, though. <laughs> that was a really bad time to take a drink of water. <laughs> After the war, he became a flight instructor for Air Force Cadets. In August 1955, he was reassigned U.S. Air Force. He was reassigned to the U.S. Air Force Institute Institute of Technology at Wright Patterson Air Force Base. Here, he earned a bachelor's degree in aeromechanics. Where is Patterson Air Force Base? I didn't look that up. It's Wright Wright Patterson Air Force Base. Hold on, I'm gonna look it up because that sounds really familiar. Cool. Sorry, two seconds. One. It's going to be two, two seconds for everyone listening because that's how editing works. <laughs> okay. I'm going to leave that in because <laughs> that's now like five seconds. You and I are so in sync. <laughs> oh, it's in Ohio. Green County, in Ohio. Opio. Hey. Told you everything I'm pretty in sure. Ohio. I'm pretty sure I talked about that in my Wright Brothers story. You probably did. What did you say, Mariah? Everything happens in Ohio. Everything happens in Ohio. Or in like one of the 27 pilot episodes that I've done. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was probably the Wright Brothers because Wright, Patterson. Sure. Probably okay. makes sense. Anyway, so Gus later became a test pilot in the fighter branch. And in 1959, he received a top secret letter summoning him to Washington, D.C. And in the letter was instructed to come in civilian clothes. 
Ooh, he, shady. He was not allowed to discuss the contents of the letter with anyone. Out oh of, man, this is getting juicy. Out of 508 considered candidates, Gus was one of the 110 chosen to learn more about the U.S. space program and Project Mercury. Not bad. But even after that election, it was still a highly competitive campaign for those selected. Gus made it among the 39 sent for further physical and psychological testing. He was almost disqualified when the doctors discovered he suffered from hay fever, but was permitted. Same. <laughs> Actually, though. <laughs> yeah. But he was permitted to continue since you don't really have to worry about seasonal allergies in space. Fair enough. There's no pollen up there. So. Fair enough. On April 13th, 1959, Gus had officially been chosen as one of the seven Project Mercury astronauts. Gus was the captain of the second Project Mercury flight, the spacecraft which Gus named Liberty Bell 7. Gus I don't know named what it? Gus named it. Legit. I don't know what he named, what where the other six were, but... <laughs> Just well, one of them was probably in Philadelphia. We should go lick that. <laughs> go lick what? The, lick the Liberty Bell. Just kidding. Um, this spacecraft, so the um, the flight that Gus had in this spacecraft lasted 15 minutes and 30, sec- 30, 30 seconds sub- in the suborbital flight and then splashed down in the Atlantic Ocean. The spacecraft's emergency explosive bolts fired unexpectedly, blowing off the hatch and leading to the flooding, to flooding in the vessel. Oh, gosh. Gus exited the spacecraft and had to wait before the rescue team showed up. The spacesuit he was wearing was losing buoyancy due to an open air inlet which gus which made gus struggle to stay afloat but he made it the spacecraft didn't yeah i kind of assumed and i've never worn a spacesuit like that but i'm assuming it's pretty heavy yeah i mean if they're meant to have buoyancy then they shouldn't be but if it's got a leak in it Again, I've never worn one, but I would imagine. Why would there be a vegetable in his suit? <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, okay, I get it. Let's go. Move on. <laughs> oh, Bad joke. joke recovery. Good Keep joke, going. babe. So funny story, not relating to this story. <laughs> so someone yesterday was talking about terrible dad jokes, and I'm like, is this a joke about terrible dads, or are you saying like, um, like the joke, the jokes are terrible? something along those lines the answer to your question is yes whole cool story <laughs> yes. okay so sp- spacecraft didn't make it to this day no one is really sure what the cause of the hatch blowing off was they have, they have theories but it's not really concrete mm-hmm. in 1964 the commander of project gemini flight gemini 3 was grounded due to um mini aries disease and Gus was chosen to take over. When the mission took off, it made Gus the first NASA astronaut to go into space twice. Wow. Gemini 3 made it back safely. Nice. Cool. Next up on the crew is senior pilot Ed White. So Gus was um, command pilot. This is senior pilot. Had like a hierarchy of pilots. Mm-hmm. So Ed White. Ed Higgins White II. He was born in San Antonio, Texas on November 14th, 1930, had two siblings, a younger brother and an older sister. His father was a West Point, which is like a military academy, 
graduate and a would-be major general in the U.S. Air Force. Nice. Right. Ed's interest in aviation came to him at the age of 12 when his father took him for a ride in a North American T-6 Texan trainer, which is a type of training aircraft. Okay, well, that's actually super cool. And could you imagine? Oh, right. I would love that. I would, I would have loved it when I was 12, too. Mm. It's okay. I'm here. Ed's dream was to follow in his father's footsteps and attend West Point, which requires an appointment with a U.S. congressman. But due to his father's career in the military, they moved from place to place, so they weren't, like, a resident to any, like, state at all. Oh. Um, yeah. But that did not stop him. Armed with a glowing reference from his high school principal, he went to the Capitol and went from congressman to congressman until he arrived at Congressman Ross Risley from Oklahoma. Hmm. Yep. And, you know, he got that interview and he's like, yeah, go for it. Hmm. You have my permission. Cool. You're very, it's... like, storytelling today. It's nice. You're welcome. I like it. You're welcome. This was a cool story. I got excited about it. Because <laughs> it's space. And... <laughs> Yeah, space. 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 And Oklahoma. I don't care about Oklahoma. Hey, Ed Music, did. Musical's okay, but... Ed cared about Oklahoma. Yeah, but only because... Okay. <laughs> Good job, Ed. Good job, Ross Risley. All right. Ed's first day at West Point was July 15th, 1948, at which he gained the nickname Red. Any guesses why? Was he a ginger? He was a ginger. Due to his red hair. He joined the soccer team as a halfback and had other hobbies like squash, handball, swimming, golf, and photography. (laughs) Ed was assigned to the 22nd Fighter Squadron in West Germany. Among his colleagues was future famous fellow astronaut, Neil Armstrong Aldrin. You are so close. (laughs) So close. Buzz Aldrin. In 1957, Ed read an article about astronauts and decided that's what he wanted to do. And according to Buzz Aldrin, Ed was actually his inspiration to become an astronaut as well. So, good job, Ed. Wow. Ed did all that he could to improve his chances of being selected as an astronaut, including getting an advanced degree in aeronautical aeronautical engineering and also becoming a test pilot. Ed was among 11 pilots' names submitted to the Air Force, from the Air Force, to be candidates for the second group of astronauts. NASA's second group. He was among 32 finalists chosen to proceed with the intense physical and psychological examinations. He ran around the perimeter every day of this, um, like the Air Force space that they were at, Mm -hmm. which I did look up. It's it's Brooks Air Force Base, which is no longer an actual Air Force base. They, like, decommissioned it or whatever they do. Sure. So I did a quick Google search just to see like what the perimeter of it, is, the blah, 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 the perimeter of it is, and it said that the like Brooks Air Force Base occupied thirteen hundred acres. I don't think he ran that every day because like if he did, huge props. I don't know anyone that does that. Maybe it was like the but perimeter of a building or it something. Might, yeah, it might have been. It might have just been like the main campus area. Oh, okay. Which um is possible because you also have to keep in mind like the, what are they called? The tarmac and the uh-huh. runways and stuff. Okay. Yeah. He so, could have just been like superhuman. He probably. Next Captain America. <laughs> right. On your left. 
<laughs> Ed was selected to pilot Gemini 4. In June 3, 1965, Gemini 4 was launched into space for a four-day mission, during which there was some initial complications with being pushed too far away from Earth. But That's pretty scary. Yeah, I'll say that sounds really <laughs> stressful, actually. Yep. But also on this mission, Ed became the first American to perform an EVA or spacewalk. Ooh, that's also terrifying, so but cool. cool. Good for him. This this next part is, is super cool as well. So after a spacewalk, upon re-entering the spacecraft, Ed said, I'm coming back in, and that's the saddest moment of my life. Because he loved the... Yeah. Because it's just... I don't know. I, I can just imagine the feeling of just like being there in space, like just looking at the Earth, seeing everything, all the other celestial bodies and stuff. Definitely, you know, it would be a surreal experience, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. An experience like, of a lifetime. Once you experience stuff like that, it's just like, you know, going back to Earth, it's just, this is lame. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, yeah. I don't know. I feel like that's one of those moments where your perspective changes. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Anyways, his next assignment was as backup on Gemini 7 as command pilot. Normal procedure would have put him as command pilot on Gemini 10 instead of like a backup, the actual, you know, primary command pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead, Ed was selected as senior pilot on the Apollo 1. This is legit. Next up is Roger B. Chaffee. Or Chaffee. 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 I'm going to call him Roger. I'm sorry, can you just say it six more times just so we can, like, get nope. an understanding? <laughs> <laughs> nope. Roger was born on February 15th, 1935 in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He, too, was a Boy Scout. They were all Boy Scouts. I don't think I mentioned it for the other two, but they were all Boy mm-hmm. Scouts. Dope. You're um, there, Courtney. You already swim. You just need to be a Boy Scout now. <laughs> then you can be an astronaut. So let me tell you about this thing I did. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um... But yeah, Roger was actually an Eagle Scout. Ooh, so good for him. Like Let's all see. the way with it. And you guessed it, as a kid, he was also passionate about flying. After high school, he was offered a scholarship to the Naval Reserve Office Training Corps, which he accepted. He started college at Illinois Institute of Technology, but later transferred to Purdue University, where he got his private pilot pilot's license. Did he run into Gus? Uh probably not they were doubt it just because they were like nine years apart in age yeah i was gonna say gus was a little bit older yeah i thought it was four years apart gus was born in 1926 and ed was born in 1930 Mm -hmm. and then this one's born in 1935 roger yes i had the mix up i was thinking of white not chaffy pull it together man no just kidding but yes they were all like four to five years apart okay 45 years apart. Wow. He's old. <laughs> yes. So he graduated from Purdue with a bachelor's in aeronautical engineering, then went on to complete his Navy training. During his Naval training, he was given his Naval Aviator wings. He was transferred to Naval Air Station in Jackson, Florida, at which he assigned... Um, his assigned project was not flying, but repairing an A3D twin-engine jet photo ret- reconnaissance plane that was hard for me to say hmm. you so did good it's a big name 
<laughs> he got so familiar with this plane that despite the plane typically only being flown by like um lieutenant commanders or above he became one of the youngest pilots ever to fly it nice um at this time he was only about like 24 to 25 years old he was also appointed as safety officer and quality controller and wrote a quality control manual for the squadron apparently not a lot of people took that very well they were just like he's just trying to boss us around and stuff like that but he did end up flying a lot too between april 4 and uh april 4th 1960 and october 25th 1962 he managed to log over 100 hours of flight time and during this whole time as well he was also working on his master's degree wow in august 1962 he confided in his family that he had applied for nasa's astronaut training program and told his superiors that he wanted to become a test pilot for like better chances of be- like astronaut status and everything. Hmm. When his naval tour was over, he managed to get over 1,800 flight hours. That's Dang. impressive. Yeah. That's a lot. Yes. Yes, it is. He was accepted into a pool of 1,800 applicants for NASA's third group of astronauts. This whole time as well, Roger was still working on his master's degree for reliability engineering at the Air Force Institute of Technology and continuing with the NASA candidate stuff, which the pool dropped at this time, like from 1800 to 271. And this was in 1963. Okay. During the testing, the examiners noted that Roger had less lung lung capacity than the other applicants, but used it more effectively than those with like greater lung capacity Hmm. was he a swimmer too he wasn't or maybe he was but it wasn't it didn't tell me that's actually a really cool skill so i have a friend from my childhood and from college and everything who has she has a disability called spinal muscular muscular atrophy and she is wheelchair bound because of that and it i mean it's basically debilitated her for a majority of her life um and she also has a pretty low lung capacity in comparison to like able body people. Um, and I remember she had something similar where it's like she only had like, I, I want to say like 80% lung capacity, but she had the ability to use that capacity like better than most people because um, she was a singer like all throughout high Ooh. school, all throughout college. Um, she did a lot of like physical therapy and stuff growing up and i guess that's just something that she got really good at was being able to have good lung capacity even though it was lower than the average person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh that's cool yeah that's why i asked if he's a swimmer like i wasn't trying to be like oh let's make this about me even though i'm the <laughs> coolest but like genuinely i wanted to see if it was something like maybe growing up he maybe played an instrument like the trumpet or something like that mm-hmm. that would allow him to learn how to use his lungs in a more efficient way mm. maybe yeah maybe he was a singer yeah maybe he's a singer yeah maybe. maybe cool anyways moving on in october 1963 he went on a hunting trip and returned to find a message from nasa he called them back and was pleased at the news that they had selected him as one of the 14 astronauts for nasa's third group of astronauts nice Training began for this new group in 1964, and at this point as well, it kind of seemed like they had a lot more kind of experience and um, experimentation. Mm-hmm. 
with the the training leading up to like for astronauts and stuff like that mm-hmm. the first phase of the training there are three phases first phase of the training was lecturing so they just sat in the classroom <laughs> all day second phase was contingency training so learning how to like fix problems and stuff sure. and third and final phase was operational training where they learned they were trained how to operate things oh, okay in case you didn't get that what about like the physical was that a phase at all I'm sure that was, like, part of the whole program. Because, like, every time that you hear about astronaut training, whether it's in, like, a TV show or a movie or even just, like, hearing about it, you know, in life. But, yeah, typically, like, the things that you hear about when it comes to training is, like, the physical parts. Like, you see people in movies getting strapped with these contraptions that spin them around really fast and... <laughs> And whatnot. So that's why I was curious if that was like an actual phase. But it it, make, it would make sense if it's like incorporated in. I, I would imagine so. Because you also have to take in like um. Take into account like you have to get ready for zero g's as well. Mm-hmm. So like gravity free, you're just floating there. Yeah. And mus muscle density as well goes down while uh-huh. you're in that kind of situation. So like you need to yeah. train for that. Um, I know that when they come back to Earth as well if they're like at the international space station they have to do a lot of physical training to get their body used to gravity again Mm. you know that makes a lot of sense but i never actually knew that but now that you say that i'm like huh Mm -hmm. yeah okay i think they have like treadmills and other workout things on the space station as well i imagine it being like if you ever like are bouncing on a trampoline and then you get off the trampoline and then you try bouncing again it feels like you're not going anywhere Mm -hmm. that's kind of how i picture that feeling that's actually a really clever analogy. Are you surprised? Don't answer that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So each astronaut had to have their own specialty as well. For Roger, it was communications. He served as a capsule co- communicator, or CAPCOM, as they called them, for Gemini 3 in 1965. The, um, and then later, later that year, he was with Gus as a CAPCOM, for Gemini 4. In 1966, Roger was chosen for the first crewed Apollo Saturn flight, at the time being the youngest American astronaut chosen for a mission. Mm. Who is this, Roger? Yeah, Roger. Nice. Now, a little background on Project Apollo. This was, this idea was originally conceived during President Eisenhower's administration um, as like a three-person spacecraft to follow the one-person spacecraft of the like project mercury it later became part of president kennedy's goal of putting man on the moon and returning safely to earth that was like a big part of his campaign okay it was also part of oh yeah i just mentioned that it's also a big part of uh kennedy's electoral campaign that promised america's efforts for space exploration and missile defense would be superior to the soviet unions nice um, so the, he was like, after this, he was pretty eager to get them into into space. So he's like, let's get the ball rolling on this. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, makes sense. But as we know, the Soviet Union put men in space first. So John Kennedy was then determined to beat them to the moon. Prior to the launch of Apollo 1, they tested unmanned spacecraft for any issues that would occur before launching the manned ves- vessel. The first test was spacecraft AS-201 which uh let me actually read this from the wiki page don't worry Mariah, i'm not stealing your thunder <gasps> he's still my wiki page 
mission summary. Here it is. Okay. So AS201. AS was like Apollo Saturn. Okay. Is what it stands for. Um, they also called them like SA, which is like Saturn Apollo, I think. Um, but anyway, so the first one that they sent, it was unmanned. Um, first flight of Saturn IB and Block 1 CSM, suborbital to Atlantic Ocean, qualified heat shield to orbital re-entry speed. The next one was AS203, no spacecraft, observations of liquid hydrogen fuel behavior in orbit to support design of SIVB, restart capability. If this doesn't make sense to you, it doesn't make sense to me either. I'm just reading it out. Um, AS203. Um, also, that's the one I just read. Um, AS202, suborbital flight of CSM to Pacific Ocean. And then finally, Apollo 1, which was meant to launch on February 21st, 1967. But, Mariah... But on January 27th, 1967, during a pre-flight test for the Apollo 204, so the last test that they had, a tragic accident occurred that claimed the lives of the three astronauts on on board. Virgil Grissom, who was age 40 at the time, Edward White, who was 36, and Chaffee, who was age 31. The accident occurred during a a quote-unquote plug-out test, which was essential to pass the launch on... February 21st. During this test, the spacecraft would operate nominally on a simulated internal power while detached from all other cables that connected it to the main rocket. And all of the pyrotechnic and cryogenic fuel sources. (laughs) Wait, (laughs) you might need to like dumb this down a little bit for me because, okay, so they, uh, first of all, that is Mm -hmm. really sad that this happened. So this mm-hmm. was the test. This wasn't the actual flight, yes. right? Yeah. So what were they testing that went wrong? Like, do you understand it well enough to tell me, like, in dumber terms? Like, <laughs> I for try. lack of a better word. Because I'm like, I, I mean, cables, yeah, I get that one. but mm-hmm. Yeah, so I believe what they did is the command module, so just like the capsule, they were trying to see if it could simulate its own power without being connected to the rest of the rocket. Okay. So in case anything happened. Okay. So all of the fuel things were detached and inoperative um on both the capsule and the main rocket mm-hmm. um and due to that they deemed the test non-hazardous so they weren't really expecting anything to go wrong okay that is really sad because it did yeah like because nothing else is is flammable besides fuel mm-hmm. right what to think yeah <laughs> Nothing. Absolutely no, nothing, at all. nothing is flammable. Exactly. Nothing. Fire isn't flammable. <laughs> Just like water isn't wet. Yep. <laughs> I'm not going into this with you right now. Uh, I'm staying out of it. I'm going back to serious. Go ahead. Serious face. <laughs> um, so at 1 p.m., the three astronauts entered the command module. They were fully pressure suited and strapped into their seats. And soon after, they were hooked up to the oxygen and communication systems. Grissom who was the command, like the senior commander of the operation, noted that there was a sour buttermilk smell in his suit. At 1.20, the test was paused. Sorry, 1.20 p.m., the test was paused in order to sample the air and identify the cause of the odor. Uh, the cause of the odor. And there was essentially no source found, so the air was normal. And then the countdown was resumed at 2.42. And the smell that he had noted um 
they don't think that it was related to the accident at all. Really? A suspicious smell and then there's a big accident that Mm -hmm. kills people? Yep. And they don't say they're related. Mm -hmm. At risk of being crude, someone probably fought it. (laughs) Okay, but it's just a little fishy. Actually, it was sour buttermilky. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) moving on. Oh, man. Well, as we go into it, you'll know why. Okay. So, three minutes after the test was resumed, the hatches to close the capsule, the installation had started, which was three parts, a removable inner hatch that stayed inside the cabin, then kind of like the middle one, which was a hinged outer hatch, which was part of the heat shield, and then the most outer hatch, which was part of like the full cover of the capsule, which was the Bruce protective cover, just to protect it from heating up too much during the launch. Sure. So the we're <laughs> near the first hatch, which is supposed to be the third hatch, <laughs> was not fully latched in order and fully latched into place in order to allow some cables to run under it to provide a simulated internal power, which I'm not sure because it's supposed to be like completely separate power and, and do it sorry, so I don't know if it needs like a jump start. Okay. But or maybe the, it was just like backup. I don't know. Maybe. The craft fuel cells were not loaded for the test, so like there wasn't any fuel or any gas around for them. So it was it was unfueled at the time. Yes. Yeah. So. Sorry, you, you haven't mentioned the cause yet, so I'll, I'll hold off on my yeah, on my it's words. All good. So yeah. So essentially, no fuel around that could have ignited and caused this thing. So, all after the other hatches were sealed and the air cabin was replaced with pure oxygen at sixteen point seven psi which is two PSI higher than the atmospheric pressure. So kind of not vacuum seals it, but makes it a little bit harder to open. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, And due to some communication errors caused by a stuck microphone, the test was placed on hold again at 5.40 p.m. And then Grissom remarked, how are we going to get to the moon if we can't talk between two or three buildings? (laughs) I mean, good point. Mm Mm-hmm. So after troubleshooting the errors, the countdown was restarted again at 6.20 p.m. And at 6.30, the countdown remained at hold T minus 10 minutes. So they still had about 10 minutes until they did the official test. Were sure. they were they in the the capsule the whole time? Uh, yes. So this often. is like five hours going on that they've mm-hmm. just been sitting there in a crammed... Okay. Yeah. Poor would guys. probably drive me crazy. So while they were waiting for it to restart again the timer to finish the test i believe they were just using that time to run through their checklist again when a momentary increase of voltage occurred nine seconds later at 631.04 communication heard one of the astronauts exclaim fire or flame they're not really sure who they think it might have been grissom just listening back and then it was followed by two sound two seconds of movement sounds Immediately following, at 6.31.06, so just two seconds later, another voice, believed to be Chaffee, said, We've got a fire in the cockpit. And after 6.8 seconds of silence, a garbled transmission was heard, possibly saying, We've got a bad fire. Let's get out. We're burning up. So it's not quite clear what he said there, but that is um, kind of the clearest of what people can guess. The transmission lasted five seconds, ending in a scream of pain. Oh, that just hurt my soul a little bit. Mm-hmm. I will say, if people aren't too squeamish, they do have a recording of it on the Wikipedia page. 
it is a little bit disturbing to listen to, especially with the outcome, but it is pretty good to hear. Like, definitely educational, but, Mm -hmm. oh, that is so sad. Yeah. Especially because they knew, like, hey, we have to get out, but it happened so fast that they had, like, no time to react. Yeah, so just, like, in less than, what, like, 10 seconds? Yeah. So the fire happened in three phases. The first phase, the heat of the fire was amplified by the, and fueled by the pure oxygen in the cabin. Mm -hmm. So oxygen, obviously, is super flammable, and when it's 100%, makes it even worse sure yeah and that caused the internal pressure to rise to 29 psi so remember the like the regular atmosphere psi is 14 yeah about 14.7 so a lot higher and that you said that it kind of like creates like a vacuum seal so even if they Mm -hmm. could get to like the doors they probably couldn't get them open Mm -hmm. so because of that really high pressure rise it ruptured one of the inner walls at 16 uh, sorry 631.19 the gases and flames rushed out of the command module through the access panels and to two levels of the surface structure the ground crew's rescues attempts res- rescue attempts were interfered with by the dense smoke intense heat and the ineffective gas masks that were more designed for toxic fumes rather than smoke uh-huh. During the rescue attempt, there were fears that the module had or soon would explode and it would possibly ignite the solid rocket fuel that was stored in the escape tower above where the test was taking place. If that were to happen, the outcome would most likely have killed a lot, if not all of the nearby ground crew and possibly destroying the pad. Wow. So So, do they know why that didn't happen? Like, it just, like, the fire stopped, or were they able to stop the fire? I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, in the second phase of the fire, as it was beginning, there was a release of pressure by the cabin rupture, and there was a rush of gases with the module that caused the flames to kind of spread across the cabin module. And um, pretty soon after that, the third phase started when the fire consumed most of the oxygen in the cabin, and then it was replaced with just regular air. So it essentially killed the fire. So it stopped before it could reach the fuel. Gotcha. Okay. But after, like, the fire was killed and everything, then it caused a high concentration of carbon monoxide and smoke to fill the cabin. And a large amount of soot was deposited on pretty much everything. It took about five minutes for the pad crew to open all of the hatches. And they could not drop the inner hatch to the cabin floor as they wanted to. So it was kind of pushed to the side... And the cabin lights were still functioning, but the crew were unable to locate any of the astronauts through the dense smoke. Mm. As it cleared, they were able to see the bodies of the three astronauts, but still unable to move them out of the module. Due to the melted nylon from the suits and the melted life support hoses, it took the crew nearly 90 minutes to remove all of the astronauts from Mm. the places where they um, had kind of fused to the module. Okay. That's really sad. And it took 7.5 hours after the accident took place to fully remove them since there was um, so many gases and toxins that the medical personnel couldn't safely take them out. Mm-hmm. I just really hope that their death was as quick as that transmission. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the five seconds. Like, I just, yeah, I just hope that it was a pretty instant death and they didn't just suffer for five minutes before the hatch doors could yeah. get open. You know. Yeah, so 
they did do an autopsy. And so thankfully it appears that they didn't suffer very long. Okay. Because there was evidence that they had suffered a cardiac arrest from the high concentrations of carbon monoxide in the air that they had inhaled. That doesn't make sense. (laughs) And a lot of them did have third degree burns. So Grissom, a little bit graphic here, but on one third of his body, he had third degree burns and his suit was mostly destroyed. White had them on almost half of his body and a quarter of his suit had melted away. And Chaffee had burns on, on almost a quarter of his body and a small portion of his suit was damaged. So technically they didn't like burn to death. It mm-hmm. was, the I mean, it was because of the fire that they died, but it was like the cardiac arrest is what killed them. Yeah. All three from, of them. Yeah. From the carbon monoxide. Wow. So yeah, that's about where I have mine done. Um, they did see that there was evidence of like electrical arts, arcs, um, where the fire had ignited and then spread over. So they think that basically like it's like a wrong fuse or something like that, like some electrical fault. Yeah, just like a power surge. Wow. Caused it. So that's a heartbreaking thing. It is. I also did read, like, after this whole incident as well, they had to put, like, a, um, like, a temporary hold on all, Mm -hmm. like, any and all other spacecraft missions. Uh Uh-huh. It was, like, for 20 months or so. 20 months? Mm Mm-hmm. 20 months, something like that. Wow. Yeah. That's so sad. Very tragic, yeah. Yeah. But, I don't know. Thankfully, it did lead to them, like, learning from their mistakes and... I believe that they no longer fill cabins with, like, 100% oxygen. They do it at a much lower concentration. Wow, yeah. Um, That is me remembering from six years ago in astronomy class, so I could be wrong. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's crazy. I had no idea about any of that. Yeah, so it's very heartbreaking. I remember learning about this in astronomy. Um, And, yeah, it's, it's just heartbreaking what they had to go through. Yeah. Especially since all of them were so young. Yeah, for sure. Well, and, okay, you're probably right the smell wasn't related, but I still think it was suspicious. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because, like, I don't know if you know this, but they tell, like, homeowners that if you smell a mysterious fishy smell in your house, it could mm-hmm. be an outlet oh. that has gone bad. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, like, a smell that, you know, you didn't cook fish that night, something, like, that would be mysterious. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's why I'm curious. I know it wasn't a fishy smell, but, like, I wonder if maybe it was a result of something that had, like, malfunctioned. And they maybe. didn't find what was wrong until it, like, really was wrong. Yeah. I mean, maybe. And then if it was, like, a faulty um, fuse and then that power surge and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I'm not a engineer yeah i mean it's just a theory i just feel like these guys are trained professionals you know and if they think something is wrong like you know in hindsight they probably should have looked into it a little bit more but it Mm -hmm. also could have been completely unrelated you know yeah so i mean i i think it was investigated for about like an hour before they resumed it again oh okay let me see yeah so about an hour and a half okay yeah dang that's sad well and you know not to, I don't know. I don't want to diminish like what happened to these guys, but sometimes really unfortunate things need to happen in order for progression to be made, mm-hmm. you know? And like, of course it would have been nice to have avoided the, you know, losing the lives of these, of these astronauts. But like you said, 
things have, or like what you guys were both saying, it's just things have changed and they took 20 months mm-hmm. to make it better before mm-hmm. they resumed. Yeah. So, anyways. Yeah. As far as where you can find the, um, the memorial, their graves and stuff like that, mm-hmm. Gus and Roger, they were bur- buried at Arlington National Cemetery and Ed was buried at West Point Cemetery. You know, the military academy that he attended mm-hmm. and his father. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so huge respect to to those guys and to their families. Mm-hmm. Condolences. Thank it, you for sacrifice. It makes me even more impressed with Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin because, and like any other astronaut in today, you know, since then that has gone into space because, like, how terrifying would it be to try and get back on a spaceship after something like that had happened? Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, and I think about that, like, especially recently, we've had a lot of incidences on the news of, like, plane malfunctions that have happened, like, mm-hmm. in the air. <laughs> and it's terrifying. And part of me is like, I never want to fly again. But then I think about these astronauts that literally went to space after a malfunction like this that basically blew up the inside of their spacecraft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's two other incidences that happened in January, obviously different years with other NASA NASA missions, but that is other stories for other days. Mm-hmm. So they're all heartbreaking. Yep. But anyway, well, thanks, Mariah, for joining us for this episode and contributing with your your part of the story. Now that we're all Thank depressed, you. we're gonna <laughs> go <laughs> drink some hot chocolate. <laughs> cool. Well, um, if you guys have any stories that you'd like us to cover, please send them into familypodcast at gmail and other than that, please like, subscribe, share, rate, do all the things. Tell your <laughs> that friends. That we tell you every week. <laughs> hey, we just don't want you to forget how important it is. We, we love don't. you. And if you want to apply for our next guest speaker, we're going to have an application <laughs> on a... I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just reach out to us. We'll probably be more than likely just to just say that. Yeah. <laughs> just, just join us. Come over and stuff. Don't do it. It's a trap. (laughs) All right, Mariah, sign us off. All right. We will see you guys in the next episode. Thank you all for listening and have a good day. This episode will be released at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) That that never happens. I'll probably start editing it tomorrow at like 12 (laughs) p.m. Sorry, Dad. (laughs) He'll live. All right. Everyone, have a good day or night, and we will see you next week. You won't. Bye. Yeah, my, you won't. <laughs> Meanies. <laughs>